0: A weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Welcome to Main Street Vegan. A lively hour with host Victoria Moran, best-selling author and the OG of vegan living for over 40 years. She and her guests have got the goods to help you look and feel amazing, make a difference for animals, and discover the soulful side of the vegan journey. Now, here's Victoria.
1: Have you ever had a party and you've realized that There were a couple of people there who were just so interesting that you wish you hadn't had a party. You wish you could just hang out with each one of them for as long as you felt like it. Well, that's a little bit the way I am feeling today because I have two guests. They are connected in the world. That's why they're on together. But oh my gosh, they are both so interesting that it would really be cool to just talk and talk and talk. Hey, everybody, I'm Victoria Moran, and this is the Main Street Vegan Podcast, where we will talk all we can with two extraordinary guests at a pretty extraordinary time in the world of animal rights. We'll get to, to more of that in a moment. My guests are the co-hosts of the Switch for Good podcast, and they are Olympian C Bausch and activist and actor, Alexandra Paul. Dotsie did a TED Talk in 2015 called Olympic Level Compassion, which pretty much describes her, and she revealed that her 2012 Olympic silver medal winning ride with Team USA was powered by plants. And later, she was in that fabulous movie, The Game Changers, and she's been named one of the top 20 most influential vegans in the world by Veg News Magazine. And she went on to found Switch for Good, which is telling the world where dairy belongs and it's not in kids' glasses and cups and cartons in school for sure. We'll talk about that. Alexandra Paul is a longtime actress with over 100 credits, and she's most known for starring in the international hit series Baywatch for five seasons. But if you are an animal lover, you know her from her court acquittal earlier this year after rescuing a chicken from a slaughterhouse truck. Welcome, Dotsie and Alexandra. Thank you. Thanks. Mm -hmm. What a pleasure to have you both here. And listeners, I know that we're audio, but I'm seeing these two beautiful women. And when they talk about beautiful inside and out, this is the experience that I'm having now, because these are beautiful, vibrant, (laughs) sparkling, healthy human beings who are doing some very brave and very important work in the world. And when I mentioned that this is a day of of some import, we will be posting this show on the 30th of November, 2023. And that is the sentencing date for Wayne Sung. And I'm probably saying that wrong. Somebody say it the right way. Jung. Okay. Thank you. Um, Who has been a guest on the show. We'll put that in in the show notes. And uh, he is, was tried and on some counts convicted for saving lives and ending suffering seems kind of backwards doesn't it so alexandra i'll go to you first because this is something you're familiar with
2: yes wayne uh who was the former co-founder who was the co-founder of direct action everywhere and is was um a lead organizer uh, he is no longer a lead organizer. He's now um, founded The Simple Heart, which is another nonprofit, which also uh, aims to liberate animals everywhere. Um, in 2018 and 2019, after the Animal Liberation Conference of DXE each year, there's usually a big action. And On those years, the actions were at first Sunrise Farms in 2018 and in 2019, uh, a duck farm called Reichart. Sunrise is a chicken farm. I I was at both those and arrested at both those um, actions and was never charged. Um, And there were 500 people who went on the property in Sunrise and maybe just... uh, a handful, six or seven were charged who were considered leaders of DXE, And their cases were either dropped or pled out for various reasons for the animals. Um, and Wayne was the single man standing uh, after being at both these actions. Um, they really just wanted to cut off the whom they saw was a leader in the animal rights movement and focus on him. So that was what the six week trial was about. Um, the there were four charges uh, there were on for in, for on both properties. So for Sunrise farms, there was a trespassing charge and a conspiracy to trespass, uh, which is a felony Cons- conspiracy is a felony charge. And then uh, at Reichartt there was a trespass charge and a conspiracy to trespass. basically. I think' I'm, I think I'm getting that right. Wayne um, is now sitting in jail at Sonoma County Jail people want to write to him that's probably the best thing that you can do so go to sonoma, sonoma county i think it's google and it's sonomasheriff.org or something and look at the rules for how to write to somebody um he doesn't need um, money for his commissary at the moment or books but writing letters would be really really helpful to him
1: so explain to us what your experience was when there was a time when you were arrested for one of these actions. What was your experience?
2: Well, the arrest process, I mean, is typical of most actions. I was arrested at both for trespass. uh, um, And because we for Sunrise was just a chicken farm, 500 people walked onto that farm and basically started, uh, I don't know, maybe 50 of them started putting on bio suits to go into the farms to rescue the animals while the other 400 stood with flowers outside the barns. And the reason that we went in was because Direct Action Everywhere had done an investigation of the conditions at this farm um, and had, the year before and had contacted at least a dozen different agencies in Sonoma County asking them to investigate the animal cruelty and nobody had responded. Nobody. And uh, not animal control organization uh, agencies, not farm agencies, not law enforcement agencies. So it was time for citizens to go in and you know document again and rescue and that was what happened at sunrise and at Reichardt, it was pretty much the same thing there was documented proof that there was animal cruelty inside that factory farm also and none of the authorities paid any attention until people gather outside hundreds of people gather outside then the riot police show up um and then who do they whom do they arrest the activists not not the farmers or or the the managers of these facilities. I shouldn't even call them farmers. It's really just facilities. So I, I, did I did I tell you that? <laughs> well,
1: I was just interested. When you were acquitted in court, did you have a pretty good idea that you would be acquitted?
2: Uh, well, I'm an optimist. I thought Wayne was going to be acquitted because I followed, uh, the judge did not let Wayne um, have any, there was no kind of videotaping or anything, which at my trial in Merced in, I guess it was the spring, there was, we were allowed to have videotape um, of each day, as long as we didn't focus, as long as he kept it on the defense and stayed away from the jurors and the prosecution in terms of videotaping um so i'm i followed on twitter and i also had to test i testified myself so i wasn't allowed to follow before i testified um but from what i saw i thought wayne put an excellent case up and i was incredibly optimistic that the prosecution did not make their case because when i was up there testifying as someone who had rescued a chicken uh from sunrise um all the prosecutor asked me really was you know was i vegan what did that mean did i eat with other uh people who didn't eat meat i mean it was just the oddest thing had nothing to do with wayne and whether he was trespassing or not and i was on the stand for it felt like an hour To answer your question, did I have an idea? So, yes, I did think I was going to be acquitted um, just because I'm an optimist and because Wayne actually was my attorney and he's an excellent attorney. Um, So uh, but it didn't matter to me whether I was acquitted or not, because this is not about me. This is or Wayne or any of the humans in court. We're just proxies for the rights of animals. It's just that at the moment, animals don't have rights in court. So we humans have to go up instead.
1: And that is really powerful and so incredibly admirable. So Dotsie, as you're listening to this, and I know you're involved in many areas of animal liberation, how did we get here? Why are we living in a society that finds kindness criminal?
3: I know. I think that's a, that's the question and it's the hardest one to answer because the three of us, we we don't have the ability to see through that lens very well, or I know I don't. It seems as if we were in these circumstances. Let's say we had to work at a slaughterhouse, even to feed our family. Most of us would just Starved to death. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, the, what goes on in there is not an option to be a part of day in and day out. And I was thinking a lot about this, the, pa- this past week, because there is a, an undocumented worker, and I'm going to say no details, no state, no city, nothing, who, uh, is, is working in a slaughterhouse, you know, doesn't have any other choice. I don't even think he knew, as most people don't, how bad it is. And he saved, two piglets whose mother had just been slaughtered. The manager got wind and he um, killed the piglets right in front of him. And that worker was brave enough to do the same thing the next day. And these piglets are now safe. I don't know how he's continuing to be there. He's probably having to feed his family or himself, but that just shows you that there are people who, Have just had to completely and totally shut down the manager, let's say, just shut down. I don't know what happened to that human. Something awful, though, I'm going to imagine. I doubt that you're born that way. I think we are born with consideration and compassion for other living beings. And then there's this brave worker that just sees this and says, This is crazy. This can't continue. And I have to at least, I have to do something. He's having to kill hundreds of pigs a day, but he saved two. That is not an answer because I don't have one, but that's mm-hmm. something I thought people would um, be inspired to hear.
1: Well, to me, the inspiring thing about that is that within all of us, there is this light of compassion. I mean, I've heard stories like this before. A friend of mine was able to get a couple of chickens from a slaughterhouse in Brooklyn by just talking to the workers. <laughs> they were able to sneak a couple out. and. It, it just seems that also I heard the story, somebody was doing, um he was kind of undercover in graduate school working in a slaughterhouse and they went into the lunchroom and on the news was a story of a cow who had escaped from a different slaughterhouse and all the workers were cheering for the cow. Yeah. So it's all mixed up and convoluted like so many things in this world seem to be right now. But there is that spark of compassion, which gives me hope when nothing else does. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about some of the hope stuff that's out there. One thing being switch for good. So Dotsie, tell us what that is, what you do and what's going on. (laughs) <laughs> well, as you mentioned
3: in the beginning, so Ale- Alexandra and I co-host the podcast. We started in 2018. Gosh, so that five years ago, we're 255 episodes in and, and we enjoy it immensely. It Switch for Good started really um, out of frustration and anger. <laughs> I'd like to say it started from from hope and compassion and desire to change the world, but it really started with me just being entirely and totally fed up with, uh, the lies that I was fed as an Olympic athlete training at the Olympic training centers around the country. Um, you, the United States is one of the only countries that is not government funded for their Olympic team or their Olympic committee. And so they have to get, get private funding. So the, um, U S Olympic committee went out and got uh dairy as their title sponsor for 10 years. And it was, so it was the entire time that I was training, uh, and leading up into the Olympics, they were a sponsor and we were sold, uh, the, you know, raw bill of bad goods, just like children are in our school system. And just like pediatricians are and pediatric dietitians and dietitians, you know, fed the bad science, um, by big dairy and just fed the lie that you need a cow from the bovine species specifically to win medals or be strong or recover well. And and so I had just um, I retired in 2012 and 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 did some activism uh, and in, in 2018 got a group of Olympians together from four different countries and we put some PSAs on NBC that said hey guess what we don't need cow's milk to win win medals and it was um, they actually aired on the closing ceremonies of the Olympic Games in 2018 which were in Pyeongchang and they aired in one city we had paid for them to air in six cities across the nation. And they aired in one city in the dairy industry called NBC and got them kicked off. And that I'll be forever grateful for the dairy industry for that one thing. Because if that hadn't happened, I don't think I would have started switch for good. Because I was, you know, I would have just been like, okay, good job, good commercials, great PSAs. We told our story. But when that happened, I was like, oh hell no. Nah, nope. This is (laughs) you have messed with the wrong people. So that's how we that's how we got started. And we we really Started uh, very raw. I mean, I hadn't run an organization before. I hadn't run anything but myself as an athlete. So I, I felt in, entirely incapable in, in the beginning, still do some days. But we started as behavior change, culture change, but have morphed significantly in the last five years to now working on federal legislation creating key uh, modifications in food policy, if you will, at the U.S. Dietary Guidelines, um, the International Olympic Committee, Paris 24, LA 28, the Olympics coming up. Uh, We've done some more nationwide PSAs. Uh, We've created an entire program for pediatricians and parents uh, about the risks of dairy for young children. And that's at kidsandmilk.org. We started, we went outdoors this year and have done some big billboard campaigns uh, and you can see all of those at killermilk.com. We even did some clinical research this year, which we're releasing in, uh, which is currently being published. We have to wait for it to get published and we'll release in January and February next year. So we've kind of just, you know, stretched our tentacles out to a, a lot of other areas besides uh, the the heart and soul of Switch for Good, which is, which will always be culture and behavior change. Mm.
1: So Alexandra, how did you
2: guys get together? Oh, so you know, I don't deserve any of that. People give me very a lot of credit for switch for good, but I I want to be really clear. It's Dotsie's baby. And oh, that you're an
3: integral farce. Well,
2: I support everything she does. Everything. And it's it's an amazing organization. And the platform, what she's done with her platform is just amazing and singular too, you know, to be and around. Alexandra
3: took me through those years when I felt so incapable and I would walk in the podcast studio in tears multiple times. Yeah. And I don't even know if I'd be here without her because she watched, she just talked me off the ledge a lot. <laughs> Cause I was, I felt really, I was scared. I felt incapable. I didn't think I was running it the right way. I was hard on myself and, and she turned it around. So you are, you
2: you saved switch for good. So there you go. <laughs> uh, big part. So we, we actually were on a panel what was it? It was a Mercy for Animals event. And we yeah. were on the same Be panel. something. And Dotsie walked when we were backstage and Dotsy and her beautiful husband Kirk walk in and they just looked like they had like a halo around them. They were so beautiful physically and radiated this sort of energy. And then when she spoke on the panel, I was like, I want to be friends with that woman. She's got something. And I had been looking to do a podcast and it actually paired up with a couple other people. Um, but it hadn't worked out because they didn't have drive and I didn't, I was driving it and I just, but what, but Dotsie, as we all know, we can tell she has drive. And I thought, wow, we had two very, um, basically two similar things that I thought we both wanted to share. And one is, of course, our advocacy for animals through our vegan diet and also our history of eating disorders as young women. And so we wanted to we want to do a podcast about both those things. So we touch, so that's why our podcast focuses a lot on health and lifestyle, you know, uh, along with, of course, advocating for animals but it's a lot about a healthy whole food plant-based diet and um you know we we do talk about disordered eating too because so many people in our country and around the world struggle with it so that's how so so we started it right Dotsy? we're like and then we decided oh and then you were starting Switch for Good at the same time you said let's put it under the Switch for Good brand and I was like great that's awesome. Because, you know, then we have the support of this amazing organization. And it just worked out really well for both for everybody.
1: So switch for good really focuses on dairy. And Alexandra, you were vegetarian for 20 years before you went vegan. What changed you?
2: I was vegetarian for 33 years from 14 to, uh, like, what is that? 47. So I guess it's been 13 years. I think that I've been, yeah, it's been 13 years that I've been vegan. What changed me? Well, I, you know, I stopped, it was a slow evolution because vegetarian is not really, doesn't tell the whole story. When I was, um, like 18 and modeling I I wasn't I wasn't using makeup tested on animals. And then in my acting career when I was in my early 20s it was in my all my contracts. I'm sorry when I was modeling I, I wouldn't wear fur. I makeup tested you couldn't really say when you were modeling what makeup they used, but wasn't wearing fur. Then when I was an actor I had more say and I would my contracts said you know, um no nothing tested on animals and I stopped wearing animals in my twenties. But it wasn't until my 40s that I gave up that last vestige of dairy because I was, you know, I was holding on to my disordered eating and saying, well, I don't want to go back to being anorexic or bulimic. I, I was wasn't throwing up or anorexic anymore, but I was f- afraid that if I restricted quote unquote by taking away dairy, that I would go back to an unhealthy mindset. But what I found when I actually gave up dairy once and for all, which was in October, so I've just had my vegan anniversary, um, is that my world actually opened up and my relationship with food got better because food wasn't just, you know, something to cover up my emotions or <laughs> something yummy. It actually had a, a, just a higher, higher good my choices. So um, that was a a big revelation for me. I actually um, turned, I went vegan when my brother, who is an activist, also was in jail. And I was visiting him a lot. He spent almost, uh, I guess, three and a half years in jail for his activism, animal activism. And I was just came back from visiting him in Arizona and I was in LA and I called my husband I said, you know what I think I'm I'm done. I think maybe Jonathan might my brother's been vegan since he was 16. Um, he uh, he might have said something about you know one more time about um, dairy being pus I think or something <laughs> I don't I think it was just a gradual thing of a lot of messaging and then finally going, you know what I'm ready. I've done pretty much everything just I need to take that one step where I own it.
1: Yeah, that is so interesting. And I'm relating to a lot of what what you're saying, because I also had an eating disorder. Mine was on the other side. It was a binge eating disorder. And it was just so difficult back then to go completely vegan, because all the messages were that you have to have at least yogurt and maybe an egg white omelet you know, just to have enough protein and sustenance that you can get out into the world. Mm. And those messages were so pervasive, so pervasive. And I was really lucky, like you had your brother and I had the late Jay Dinshaw, founder of the American Vegan Society, who always believed in me, even when I fell mm. off the wagon. Because, you know, when you're vegan for a while, you can be vegan for three weeks and you just think, okay, I'm vegan. And then you fall off. And I know like, is it that Alcoholics Anonymous book talks about the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization of being on the track you want to be on and then falling off. And that just was so much my life for so many years. And once the dairy was gone, it's like you say, there's a big lifting. So Dotsy, I know that part of what turned you to focus on dairy was what was going on at the Olympic Committee. Do you have a special place in your heart for cows?
3: I do definitely. I, I mean, I I have a special place in my heart for for all animals. Grew up with them, uh, horses and hamsters and rabbits and dogs uh, and fish and. Um, it, but I I think that the real special place came um, comes from the length of suffering that dairy cows have to go to go through to prior to being slaughtered at around five years of age. And cows can live to 20 or 25 years old. So that is um, a very young life. But when I really started uncovering what happens in the dairy industry, what the dairy industry is made of, what they need to do in order to produce the product, I started counting (laughs) the weeks of of suffering of, of a dairy cow. And you know it's just like any any mother on planet earth right you have to uh be pregnant in order to lactate to feed your baby and i think many who listen to this podcast are aware that uh cows are pregnant for 9 months same uh, length of time as humans they have their baby and then their babies are taken from them within 24 hours because the milk's for us humans right so they will have three, four, five more babies until they, they they literally, their body just runs out of steam, runs out of energy and their production, their milk production plummets. And that's when they go to be slaughtered for cheap beef. And I very much will never and haven't had chicken, for example, in uh, 13 years now. Uh, but a chicken's life is about... Twelve weeks, Alexandra knows am I any anywhere from nine weeks to twelve weeks that they're they they're slaughtered? Granted, there are many billion chickens on the planet that go for food. There's about two hundred and seventy million dairy cows on planet Earth, but their length of suffering is about two hundred and sixty weeks of complete and total torture and hell. And that just shifted something uh, for me because there's there's There are a lot of us activists that tend to focus more on the animals that there are more of. Um, And so that is an amount of suffering for sure. And I felt like the dairy cows were being forgotten in a way. And so that is really at the center of my heart, that reason. But as I started traversing all of the insanity that the United States government is embedded with the dairy industry and the dairy industry embedded with the government. Honestly, it goes back to the anger I was talking about earlier. I just started getting really angry with what we're with with what goes on in this country. 73% of the dairy industry's income comes from our federal government. So when those subsidies start to die, they will because it's not a product that we are demanding as a public. As the public, I mean, plant-based milks are almost at 20% of the market, right? Plant-based meats are like two and a half percent of the market, maybe a little less. They were up, but now they've gone down again. The, 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 the dairy industry will fold overnight, right? Because that's, I mean, that's that's the huge part of their income. And we have found at Switch for Good that when people ditch dairy, If they decide to ditch dairy first which is what we will what we encourage simply because people at least 70 percent of them that are lactose intolerant in the world but having having all other issues lots of other issues with dairy too not just lactose intolerant or not just allergy uh, they become physically transformed almost overnight and that is such an impetus for for the behavior change and it leads to a snowball effect of dropping other animal foods quickly. And you don't have the same experience when you have a turkey sandwich, for example. Like you're probably not going to instantly feel awful, but people do with dairy. Many people know it. Some people just, oh, I don't know what else to eat. So I just take a pill after I have an ice cream or a glass of milk or some cheese. But that is, we have found is a really interesting way in to tell people. To just try, don't just 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 lay off the dairy for two weeks and see if you feel better. And it's usually almost a complete game changer for
1: people. That is so exciting, and I remember that too because I'd been vegetarian for a long time. And when I was finally really off dairy, because I'd been off, you know, weeks, months, whatever, and then back. When wow. I was off for an entire year, I realized that I hadn't been sick for a year. No oh. colds, no sinus infections. And because I was young, and so it wasn't that I had other kinds of health things going on, but just the idea that I'd gone a whole year, never missed a day of anything, it was the milk. And it's that that is pretty cool when you can really see something amazing happening. Well, if you want to see some amazing stuff happening, you can check out these wonderful women online. So uh, Instagram, you can find Dotsy at Switch for Good, and that's the numeral four. You can find Alexandra at Alexandra underscore Actress, and we will put all of their URLs. And their social media on the show notes at mainstreetvegan.com so let's just take a little moment for a little music and a little breath and we will be back with alexandra paul and dotsie bausch the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts on the entire internet switch for good
0: Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
1: Okay, moving on with more wonderful information from these two amazing women. And I do want to move a little bit in this segment Onto some of the wonderful benefits for us of, of this way of life. And as I said earlier, both of these women look amazing. So we're going to find out what is connected to that in terms of their wonderful plant-exclusive diets and maybe some other stuff going on. I do have a couple of announcements from the world of Main Street Vegan. I've announced it once or twice before, but Main Street Vegan has an outgrowth, and that is the Main Street Vegan Salon on Unchained TV. So we're doing lots of great interviews, really trying to get into the inner understandings of some of these amazing guests. I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Michael Greger tomorrow and all kinds of amazing folks. So if you are not yet watching Unchained TV, there is so much cool stuff there. They follow all of the animal rights news, like we were talking earlier about some of these trials of wonderful heroes in in the world of, of animals, but they've got all the movies, they've got talk shows, they've got the cutest reality show called Pig Little Lies. So do check that out. You can find it online or you can download the app and have Unchained TV with you wherever you go. And when you do, I would so appreciate your taking a look at the Main Street Vegan Salon. And while we are still in November, I just want to do a celebration shout out one more time that this month is my 40th vegan anniversary. Finally made it. (laughs) 40 years ago, my daughter was a tiny little thing and I knew she was gonna be starting on solid food soon. And I so knew that she needed to be vegan, but then of course I had to be vegan. And so I just got my eating disorder taken care of changed from the inside out. And once I had the power of choice over what I would eat, I chose vegan finally, and have never looked back. I'm so, so grateful for that. And a couple of people after I announced it last time said, are you going to do anything to celebrate your 40th vegan anniversary? Well, yes, I am. I was going to do it this month because this is the anniversary month. And that was start on some big old fundraisers for Miss Liberty, which is the feature film written by my husband and myself about a fictional cow who escapes from a slaughterhouse and the human drama that ensues. But then I got a publisher for my next book, which is called Age Like a Yogi. And I have a really tight deadline on that. So I'm focused there. But round about late January, early February, that's when I'm going to celebrate this 40th anniversary and um, raise some money to get Miss Liberty going. We've got some actors interested. We've got a wonderful producer. So it looks really possible as so many things are looking for animals these days. Thank goodness. And thanks to amazing people like Dotsie Bausch and Alexandra Paul. So before we move on into more of the health stuff, I just wanted Alexandra to get a definition from you of something that I think some listeners may not understand, and that is open rescue. What is it and why is it important?
2: Open rescue is a form of animal activism and animal advocacy where activists go into places where animals are abused, usually factory farm facilities and, but they could also be laboratories or circuses or zoos. And they, uh, we remove animals who are sick or injured. We'd like to remove all of them, but the sick and injured ones are the ones who need us the most. Um, And so we remove them. We do not cover our faces. We document what we see behind these closed doors so that the world can know what's going on. And then afterwards, uh, we publicize what we've done using our names, our faces, and the story of the animal whom we've rescued. Um, So we can see him or her go from where this terrible place um, that they've been languishing to being happy and free in a sanctuary and thriving. It's a very inspirational way to give hope to activists and also to show how unnatural and terrible So many of these places are that um, the authorities try to hide um, and the companies try to hide from public view.
1: And when I hear you describe that, Alexandra, it reminds me of the Hippocratic Oath. And I'm wondering if veterinarians take something like that, because shouldn't the veterinarian for that facility know who's sick and injured and shouldn't be there anymore? Do they just not care?
2: You know, it's, I think it's it's really a systemic issue of factory farm facilities. Um, not so much we prefer not to focus on the the workers or the people, you know, the people like the the veterinarians because it's not they're caught in a system too. For example, at Sunrise Farms, the farm that uh, we talked about earlier, where there was a big demonstration in two thousand eighteen by direct action everywhere activists, and where. Wayne was arrested um, alongside other people. Um they had something like 80,000 chickens and one vet. And I think um Circle 4 Farms, which is another large 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 um pig farm in Utah. I think they had four vets for thousands of pigs. So, you know, it's um the vets are they're not taught in veterinary schools to treat animals like um they're they're more objects, and I think, yeah, it's a really tough issue. So, I, I don't know I don't know enough about that. It's something that we could all work on. Certainly, if someone here listening is going to be a vet, it's something that is important to work on in the veterinary schools. I know PCRM works on it, but you yes. know they 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 use animals to practice on, and so that in itself can give you a warped view of. The role of animals in terms of you know, the world.
1: Yes. And yet that's another kind of heroism when a young ethical vegan goes into veterinary medicine or goes into a registered uh, dietitian school. That's really tough too. My understanding is that still with all of the science and everything that we know about, it's still a pretty tough course for a vegan to make it through.
2: May I add that I've talk to people who work on these facilities and they think that their animals are being treated just fine. And it's because of the way they look at the animals. They don't look, if it were their cat or their dog, they would of course be horrified, but they they consider chickens and cows and pigs and sheep, and uh, just different, somehow even non-sentient, like they don't have feelings. They don't have thoughts, they don't have desires. That's how they look at them. So and, and our and our whole culture does the whole human existence is based on us being the center of the universe. So it's understandable why they would look at animals like that. That's what kind of sets you and I and Dotsy and and your listeners apart from the rest of the world and can make it really difficult.
1: It must be a little bit the way free people who were opposed to slavery must've felt. And I've often thought about those folks, and that movement was hundreds and hundreds of years long before human slavery was outlawed in this country. And I've often thought if they were abolitionists in 1690 or 1750 or 1840, could they have had any idea where they were on that timeline? Where do you think we are on this timeline? When do you think animal liberation is really going to become the order of the day?
2: I'm an eternal optimist. I'll tell you one thing is that I find interesting is that I was thinking the other day, we animal activists might not end up being the reason that animals are no longer exploited. It might be because of people like David Welch, whom Dotsie and I uh, just interviewed, um, and people at the Good Food Institute who are developing really, really quality substitutes for animal foods. Uh, That might be, and it might be the tipping point when those animal foods become less expensive, less dangerous in terms of pandemics less dangerous in terms of antibiotic. There's no antibiotic use in lab-grown meat, for example. You know, that might be the thing that changes the world, but it's important for us all to be vocal and active in the meantime, because each of those animals that we don't eat or whom we rescue, it means so much to them. And also because we need to promote this ethic that it's not right to exploit animals. Cause there's so many ways to exploit animals, not just through your food, you know, it's through taking their land or testing on them or just, mm-hmm. you know, treating them badly when they are in our homes, killing them when they are flying around us, you know, that kind of thing.
1: It is so possible for people to change. And I think if that's what we do, and I I agree with you, I think that the cultured meat is going to be a game changer, but we are also game changers. Uh, Dotsie is actually called one in that wonderful movie. So let's move a little bit into a plant-based diet for athletes and other people who want to be just a little bit superhuman. So, Dotsy, you know all about that. How does it work? Inspire us. Gosh, you know what? it's it works exactly the way it works for the three of us
3: sitting here. Um, it's athletes just eat more. You know you just need more calories. Um, I mean, when I was training, it was I don't know five, six thousand calories a day, depending on the workout, depending on what was going on. But most athletes at that level are training two or three times a day. So it's just, is train eat rec- recover repair train. you know it's just it's pretty monotonous but i mean i the magic is in the nutrients the magic is in the antioxidants the magic is as in the phytonutrients and all of the color that comes from plants and i when i i first switched over i was mainly focused on really truly eating the rainbow i don't focus on it as much anymore like if i want some white rice and potatoes and You know, tomatoes or something. That's that's what I have. But I was really focused on making sure that all those phytonutrients were present because those are what a helped my inflammation to decrease. My chronic inflammation. I'll say acute inflammation is important, but chronic inflammation is um, the beginning of many diseases, as we know in in, um, in in health from from so many of the doctors in our in our movement and outside our movement. Um, so really trying to keep my chronic inflammation from the, um, overabundance of output and training I was doing at bay, those phytonutrients, as well as powering my energy. I mean, I have so much more energy now than when I was eating animals and that just changed that feeling changed almost overnight. And as you can imagine, when you're training three times a day, you need a high energy level. And I was, um, i was not a young olympian i was a little bit older olympian and so i was you know competing against women who were 10 15 years my junior to even make the olympic team and so my repair process was really critical so that i could kind of kind of keep up with the with the young guns and when i when i first made the change the very first thing i noticed cuz some of the other stuff like i was just mentioning inflammation and, and and energy those took some weeks not 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 months but 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 some weeks but the very first thing I noticed was when I get up in the morning I used to feel uh and, and Alexander's heard this it most athletes most professional athletes you wake up in the morning and you feel kind of hungover which is you know you, it feels very similar to an alcohol hangover you're groggy you're lethargic you're grumpy you're crickety your muscles are inflamed and you just your joints feel funky and we used to always joke as a team that like we really couldn't head out the door to train till 10 because at at 8 you were just like you know trying to like you know mainline the coffee in so that you could you know wake up and have enough energy to go out and train But when I switched over to plants, I mean, I would get up in the morning and be just spring out of bed. It was just like that repair process and that, that recovery and that restoration that happened overnight with the foods that I was feeding myself, you know, the day before and many days before really worked their magic. And I would just, just come out of bed just like, okay, let's go game on. And my younger teammates were—they used to joke. I mean, they knew I was plant-based, but they—they they used to joke, "What are you on?" Used <laughs> to as a joke for the last couple of years. "What are you on? What are you taking?" Oh, it can't be just plants. Come on, give us the secret. And that—that that was a—that was a joke through the whole last couple of years, which was kind of fun because it was just
1: plants that I was on. Ah, the power of plants. And I think we're kind of, an at least three decades here. And, you know, we're all doing really well. And I think that's more common than it is in the regular omnivorous world. So Alexandra, I want to talk to you about beauty and food and maybe loving animals and beauty too. Maybe that comes out and shows. What do you think?
2: yeah, I mean, i i I would like to think that I'm sixty now. i um, so I guess I'm in the middle back in the middle. is that is that what you mean by three decades? I think
1: so. Yes. yeah. because uh, i'll I'll take uh, seventy three. Wow.
0: real
2: baby.
1: Okay, wow. yeah, Dotsie's just a mere fifty.
2: Neither Dotsy, you're finally you. the youngest one on the team. <laughs> I know. Thats so uh, funny. Thank you, ladies.. That's funny. I just think living ethically, just makes things more simple you don't there's you just know what you need to do and uh i i've always felt like ingrid newkirk has said uh, be kind be kind be kind and i just think that that kind of ethic to living your life just reaps you know rewards both in your uh, physically and attitudinally and uh, emotionally, it's just all, it's a beautiful way to live. And so I try and put that forward. Yeah. And, you know, also in terms of you mentioned beauty, I mean, my beauty routine is super simple. I mean, I don't wash my face very much, I moisturize with something I get from the health food store and stuff. But I think because I eat healthily, I don't need to put on a lot of fake stuff and chemicals and all that. Uh, I'd like to. That's what I'd like to think. So,
1: yeah, it's a nice way of life. I think there's something karmic about it because there there's a lot of happiness among longtime vegans. I think when people first go vegan and are met with all of the horror and all of the suffering, it can be really difficult. And I think a lot of us go through the angry phase and <laughs> some of those other phases. But I think in in the long haul, you know, we accept that we're doing everything we can possibly do to change things. Yes, there's awful stuff out there, but we are still allowed to be happy. And I think in that allowing a lot of, of uh, grace and joy comes to us. So as we wind down, I would just like to hear from each of you, what are you most passionate about right this minute? Alexandra, we'll go alphabetical. <laughs>
2: Um, well, you know, Dotsy brought up dairy cows, and I am really, really incensed at how dairy calves are being treated. I think um, there are a lot of there's a lot of there was a lot of focus on veal calves, which was fantastic, and certainly in California, um, where I lived for 42 years, uh, they ha- the rules changed so that dairy calves, uh, sorry, veal calves get 42 square feet. There are no, there's only, I think, one veal place uh, in California, partly due to that rule, but dairy calves are forgotten. And in California, they are treated terribly. And I, you know, I joke that it's because they're female. The males got the good thing first, and now we've got to take care of the, how females are taken, are, are being treated because they are living in tiny crates for the first three months of their lives, removed, as Dotsie said, from their mothers right away. And it is unacceptable. If we are horrified by veal, how veal calves are being treated, we need to also be horrified about how dairy calves are being treated. So I would say that is my focus right now.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people are very confused. I think that the idea is that all the dairy calves are are going to veal, but that tends to be the males. And then the females are, are usually kept for, for dairying. And, and we haven't heard a lot about those conditions. So thank you.
2: And, and actually for- a lot of the, the, what they're called uh, Bobby calves, I think, I know in Europe they're killed. A lot of them are yes. killed. Isn't the demand for veal here too. They're, they're often raised uh, for meat. It's not as, um, it's not as productive because they are born with dairy genes and not meat genes but um yeah they're they're often the boys and we forget about that too right the the boys are just killed you know right away um sent off and killed so if they're not um tortured uh, f- uh as veal calves for the first few months of their lives
1: it's a tough world So thank God for you guys and so many other people like you. Okay, most passionate right now, Dotsie, what's going on with you?
3: Well, I want to go back to what you all were discussing, like if there'll be a vegan world, because what is most exciting to me right now is taking action. And that is uh, kind of broad. But when I think about will there be a vegan world, won't there be, uh, I think about Alexandra's work with teaching about overpopulation, which is the only subject that is less popular than veganism in the world. And I think that it'll be a vegan world when we are literally facing a mass extinction. Like there's absolutely quite distinctively no more room. And so you can't have, there's no more room for these monster slaughterhouses. So then that will give people a reason to eat, you know, quote, Weird, strange lab grown meat because that's what we hear about it now, not you know from within our movement but from the outside. And so, when you think that way, it's like, okay, well, that's maybe 60, 70, 80, maybe it's 100 years. Alexander knows probably more if we keep up at this rate, um, when that might be an overcrowding. But I don't really want to be alive for that personally. So, if it's not going to happen in my lifetime, I think every day okay, what are you going to do about now then? And I wake up every morning and I just go, there isn't an option for me to not fight. And you two are wired the same. We, we can't not fight. So taking action every day, whether I am only successful at taking one action or if I have a really productive day and I feel like I took five actions, um, that is what is just keeping me empowered right now. Because it's, it, when we look at, oh, how many vegans are there, you know, or, or even how many quasi-vegans, right? Because if we're looking at reducing suffering, you know, everybody's doing a, a great job, even if you're just being vegan once a week or, or you know, once a month, right? That, that's, that's, that's adding to um, the less suffering total. So taking action is what's most exciting to me right now.
1: And, and I love it that one of the actions you take is doing a fabulous podcast mm-hmm. and getting the word out from other interesting people, You know, people who are doing, for example, the cultured meat. That's a whole process that I think most of us don't understand at all. And to talk with people who are in on the ground floor of that and know what it is and can be so convincing about it. It's just a wonderful, wonderful service. So thanks for everything. Thanks, Thanks for thank being you. uplifters.
2: Thank no, you. but thank you too, because you've been around a long time. Yes. Just being a wonderful role model yourself, 40 years, happy anniversary, but thank also with this podcast. So thank uh-huh. you.
1: Well, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you, because you guys are really out there doing it. I was just telling uh, Alexandra and Dotsie before we started the show that I found myself in Dayton, Ohio, uh, for a couple of days this week, and remembered that I had met a wonderful activist from, from Dayton, Ohio. Her name is Amanda And so I I found her on Instagram and and we got together and went to this lovely, really healthy, juicy vegan place for lunch. And I got to learn about her activism and what's going on in Ohio. And sometimes I think that if we can just get out of our little, little circle, our little, well, I know what's happening in my neighborhood and to just see what is happening all over. There's a lot of wisdom, room for hope. I don't know where I got wisdom in there, but it's very wise. Okay. We'll say it that way. (laughs) Very wise to have hope. Now, everybody, thanks for listening. Let us go out and make Main Street vegan.
0: She thanks for listening find out more about today's episode at mainstreetvegan.com where you can also learn how to take your vegan or plant-based outreach to the professional level through main street vegan academy and join our inner circle at the main street vegan podcast listeners group on facebook see you next time